This week on the Nonprofit News Feed, we're talking about news for the week of December 13th. Wow, halfway through December. Nick, what kind of news do we have for folks today? Sure. To start us off, we have two stories that I think tackle a similar theme. Our first one is that the New York Times over the weekend deemed Elon Musk a troll philanthropist. This story follows a thread we've been following in Elon Musk's public engagement in questions around philanthropic giving. But uh, it says that Elon Musk's high-profile brush with the typically staid world of philanthropy Uh, is generating quite a lot of conversation. So Musk famously got in a little bit of a tussle with the World Food Program about the cost it would take to end world hunger. But the article dives into themes a little more in depth, talking about while a lot of very, very wealthy philanthropists use donations and giving to support their brand and reputation, Elon Musk doesn't really seem to care about that. In many ways, he almost flaunts his wealth in the name of philanthropy. And they interview a researcher here from the Urban Institute who notes that Musk doesn't really seem to care much about using his philanthropy to curry public favor. Um, But at the end of the day, these organizations often have to engage him. And I guess it is a good thing he's engaging with these organizations in very public ways about how we shape our society via uh, philanthropic giving. So it's unorthodox, but it's really interesting. What's your take on this, George? I'm trying to get, what is your gist of the New York? It's interesting to see the New York Times kind of, brand like this, right? This is, you know, it's in the business section, but to even start the article with uh, troll philanthropy feels very editorial. What was your editorial vibe on this article? I felt like it it had an editorial vibe. That's a provocative title to call someone a troll philanthropist. But in some ways to me, it was almost an a business analysis of how wealthy business leaders use philanthropy. And it talked about Bezos used it largely cynically, but Bezos, you know, created a foundation to tackle climate and did a big PR stint about it. um, And how other donors often use philanthropy to support their brand. There's a, in some ways, cynically again, but, uh, tertiary benefits to them of using their philanthropic power to, you know, build their brand, you know, increase uh, public perception of the companies they run. And it was kind of saying that Musk is forgoing all of that <laughs> um, by creating, in some ways, creating enemy and lots of controversy uh, in a field that's typically pretty like, you know, celebratory of, of giving. And I think it's it's raising really interesting conversations. And it's just saying that I think Musk is kind of uh, carving out his own distinct little narrative of how philanthropy should be run, maybe to the benefit of the world. Maybe he's shaking it up. Yeah, I think it's 
it's an interesting take and in juxtaposition, I don't know if the title does, you know, kind of leading us there that the the title doesn't really maybe do justice to actually what's going on. Also, you know, they make note in here that frankly, his actual money-making is doing things like, I don't know, switching us off of combustible engines at a global scale, doing maybe more than any environmental movement in the past to actually reduce our carbon footprint and push technology where it needs to go. So, you know, I think that's super telling, but the piece here that's kind of buried is that quote from uh, Mr. Soskis, and it says, he doesn't seem to care much about using his philanthropy to curry public favor, in fact, seems to enjoy using his identity as a philanthropist, in part to antagonize the public, you know, antagonize to make a point sometimes, I think he's got a very large stage, but that's in sharp juxtaposition to, and I'll quote, the way wealthy people mainly do the opposite. They use philanthropy to burnish their image or distract the public from the business practices that earned them their enormous wealth in the first place. That one sentence there is so disturbingly true about, I think, the larger narrative of the way billionaires give, put their names on buildings, whitewash over ill-begotten to the detriment of society, their funds, and suddenly can leave a legacy of, you know, I'm lacking the words to do, but they essentially paint over ill-begotten gains with the whitewashing of cause. And and, and Musk is simply not doing that because he's not really needing to, to apologize for the way he's gotten his funds. Yes, he's... These billionaires play the game, but it's an interesting article and narrative. And the other reason to pull it up here is that I think he is maybe a bellwether, but also a leader of how maybe a rising generation of wealthy individuals, or at least in this large wealth transfer, may begin to re-examine how they look at their own giving. And I don't know, I don't know what the downstream effects of troll philanthropy is. I, I do hope they rebrand it. But it's interesting to look at as a as a larger narrative. I agree. Maybe we'll get uh, like meme stocks, except it'll be meme charities, right? I don't know. <laughs> but it, interesting narrative in juxtaposition to our next story, which was also a a profile of a uh, leader within the social impact world, and this was a New York Times profile about the Patagonia CEO. Um, and Patagonia, of course, a B Corp company like us at Whole Whale, and we are bound to strict uh, ethical, uh, environmental, and sustainable guidelines um, for responsible business practices. And it was an interview with the CEO, a new CEO, mind you, that in many ways is pushing the company's activism and responsible business practices to the forefront. Um, we didn't highlight it here, but they're giving Tuesday, uh, uh, Black Friday uh, revenue. Um, a substantial amount of that is going into activism. It says here that uh, Patagonia has committed to giving one sales to environmental justice groups and the company is on track to do almost a billion dollars in sales this year. That's substantial for a, a for-profit company. Um, 
George, I feel like we're moving in this direction between Musk, uh, you know, engaging with philanthropy very publicly, um, slightly different narrative, but I think Patagonia represents a, is at the forefront of a movement that's only going to grow as consumers demand more responsible business practices. Do you think, do we think that's a correct assessment? Do you Yeah, I mean, the big nuance here is the cause marketing and authentic, I'd say, way that they have increased the way their supply chain impacts the the economy and ecology of our planet, as opposed to, you know, Musk, where it's just like it, it is by design what he is doing, right? And it's incumbent upon him. He would fail if he didn't do Right. This is the difference. He would fail if he wasn't using alternative energy and means to produce electric cars and reusable rockets to reduce waste. The company wouldn't work. Technically, the Patagonia company would work, but just not as well if they weren't as attentive to the environment, conservation, supply chain, and also just running a, a, a truly great uh, company. And I think it's much more accessible to look at Patagonia. Patagonia is sort of the pinnacle of that for consumer goods, uh, CPG businesses, uh, CPG businesses. And, you know, it's interesting to see their their moves because it, it moves markets and sets a precedent. Absolutely. I imagine we'll see more of these companies and uh, more companies shifting towards models like the one Patagonia has adopted. Shall we move into the summary, George? All right, let's summary. All right, so our first story in the summary was a feature story in the New York Times about children grieving lost parents over the pandemic and a bipartisan project um, backed by philanthropy uh, has shown that there are essentially hundreds of thousands of children, uh, 167,000 children in the United States who have lost parents or primary in-home caregivers due to COVID. And this commission, this project, um, has made recommendations to the Biden White House that they do something directly to address this. And the article does a really good job of going into the uh, mental health impacts of losing a parent suddenly um, due to a pandemic and uh, the need to invest in the well-being of helping these children heal. And there's lots of different ways to do this. The article talks about some ways in which uh, various COVID relief bills have provided funding for mental health, but these researchers seem to be advocating for policy um, that directly addresses uh, grieving children specifically. Um, And I think this is really important. This is the value of public policy research applying to our everyday lives in in real time. And uh, yeah, and I think that, you know, nonprofits are often on the front lines of this, the education system, the health system, and there's a lot of takeaways from this, but George, what did you make of this article and and really tremendous research? I should 
uh, highlight uh, conducted by a led in some ways by a friend of whole whale, Dan Treglia. So George, what do you make of this? Yeah. First off, we were really thrilled at Dan Treglia PhD who is supporting uh, and supports whole whale. You can find them on our site, research and evaluation uh, whaler for fun, but also runs a, uh, it runs a group called Social Policy Analytics, uh, was working on this and brought it to light. And we may even have him on the podcast to talk more about it. So I don't know how far we need to go into it. But uh, the big picture here is how a nonprofit cause can leverage this type of research to actually move policy, right? Think about what happened. There was you know, a commission. Just go find out information about Frankly, these forgotten grievers, these children, a generation of children who were disproportionately impacted. And there's so many narratives and it's so easy to lose one, two, three, uh, hopefully not 167,000 children in this case who have lost uh, lost a parent or, or caregiver in this period of time. So think about the elements here because I want you to take it back to your cause and say, all right, what is the the narrative? What are the data? How can we summarize, create a report, which costs X, but then you get something interesting that is a new narrative story that, you know, in the best case scenario, the New York Times picks up on and brings to light and able to pull into public policy and actually move the needle, right? There's one thing to say, and we ran a toy drive and helped it, which is beautiful, amazing. However, there's another thing to say, the government is going to allocate actual funds and resources. And and this is a bit of a playbook, and I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than that, which is why we're going to be talking, uh, hopefully with uh, with Dan and some of the other people behind this report. Absolutely. Stay tuned. But it's incredible to see public policy research make its way into the New York Times and hopefully influence real public policy in meaningful ways. So we look forward to that and to learning more, hopefully. Our next story in a similar vein is about... We are very heavy times today. <laughs> We're very heavy very, times. George, heavy do, you, <laughs> do we read the New York Times? I've never, I've never, Once I've never heard of that paper. <laughs> Our next story is about how technology is helping poor people get government aid. This is super cool. This is about an app um, designed by a tech entrepreneur named Jimmy Chen, uh, who eventually created this app called Propel that offers a free service that now helps over 5 million households now manage their food stamp benefits. Um, It's sad and unfortunate to think about how many Americans rely on food stamps, but this app in many ways fills a need both for ease of use and accessing the bureaucracy. George, I have to do my taxes every year. It's mind boggling that that is my responsibility as a citizen to deal with that Um, (laughs) as complicated as it is, but this app makes it easier. And the, an interesting thread that I wanted to pick up here was that the people who use the app on food stamps, I think people who've never been on food stamps probably have a perception of the demographic of people who are on food stamps, but it, cuts more ways than I think people realize and that more of your neighbors are probably on food stamps than you realize. And it interviews people in this article who said that having an app, a 21st century 
tech creation with great design and UX humanized them in accessing food. Um, and to me, this is this is what tech should be. Like this is this is incredible. But just the simple fact of having this app um, allowing people to interact with the bureaucracy in a simple, easy to use, modern, sleek way. The app, uh, the screenshots of the app, it looks like looks like a Venmo or the app for your bank or something like that. Um, it's it's tremendous, and I think that we should be investing more in products like this to make our government, which provides great services to people, to make it more accessible because getting those services can be hard. Yeah, very, very amazing to watch the story also because little little known fact in whole whale lore, we, uh, we had Propel on, I believe the podcast early days, went to their offices. They started off in the same office as we did and amazing to see their persistence and now success in, in this field being covered. You know, the quote here that there are billions of dollars in assistance uh, that go unclaimed because of the friction introduced here for, for claiming these, you know, uh, these resources that, that are absolutely necessary. When you talk about food stamps and then you do that in light of the current rates of inflation, which disproportionately impact low-income people who are living on a fixed budget saying like, now I'm going to have to make a tighter decision because, you know, six, seven more percent increases in everyday goods and my consumer price index increasing will have a real toll. So this is the right time to be using this app if you're out there in the field to, to push more people to do it. Uh, I remember I used to by hand register people for food stamps in Philadelphia, and it was an onerous process. I had to be trained on how to do it. And then I had to sit down and it took me 30 minutes working for some, with somebody. I could do it faster, but about that amount of time to fill out the paperwork and understand the nuances of what was going on. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But just from an accessibility standpoint, it's incredible. Um, so we support that work. And wow, it's like six degrees of separation from Whole Whale <laughs> this week. Quite incredible for a company our size. But moving on, George, this one's up your alley. Um, Wikipedia's first ever edit is being auctioned off as an NFT. Uh, It's being auctioned off by Sotheby's or Christie's, one of those auction houses. (laughs) And um, they estimate it's going to go for between $100,000 and $150,000. And I don't have that kind of cash lying around, but maybe you do. I don't know. Yeah, it's going on. It's going by Christie's. Uh, clearly, on the sort of practical use of NFTs, non fungible tokens, as a fundraising mechanism, especially if your nonprofit has got an interesting historical narrative, including in it founding documents, moments in time that frankly are sitting there undercapitalized and under resourced. Like, here's the playbook. And, you know, it's never a guarantee, but there are ways of partnering with certain groups to get an extra bit of cash in there. And what did this cost them? Truly, right? This is, an, this is a JPEG screenshot, to be clear. Now it'll be officially certified and make sure that it'll be a one-of-one, meaning there won't be like, and then we produce thousands of them. But that's going to go to help support the, the nonprofit. And what's more, should that ever exchange hands, 
they can write into the contract that the Wikimedia Foundation actually gets 5%, 10% of that transaction in perpetuity. There are a lot of ideas. Show me a nonprofit and I'll show you a potential historical moment you could uh, memorialize an NFT and sell it. There is a pony in here, Nick. I'm telling you. I believe, that, I mean, they created money. <laughs> this is what it is. They created money. Well, it hasn't sold yet, that's, but um, that's take, I think it's going to go for over that. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll keep you posted. Um, this next one is fun, not fun. Um, this is about conservative members of Congress who shared a Christmas photo, provocative Christmas photo with them and their family and their children uh, barnishing guns, namely assault rifles. Uh, this particular article talks about several uh, GOP Congress people um, who sent out Christmas cards um, barnishing guns. But the the story here is that, of course, these uh, Congress people are being backed by the gun lobby, including by an organization that barnishes, bar, uh, that bills itself as to the right of the National Rifle Association, the troubled uh, pro-gun lobby nonprofit. Um, George, I don't know what the narrative is here, but it's disheartening to see tax-exempt organizations penetrating this deep into society and politics that uh, the fetishization of military weapons is now mainstream within American political discourse. Uh, This week brought to you by not all nonprofits are pro-social or, I don't know, living well with other human beings. So keep that in mind. That's it. That's a, a fair, a fair little uh, tagline there. A lower third that we can't forget. Our last story, finally, is uh, uh, data from Slate that uh, the pandemic has financially devastated minority-led nonprofits. And uh, this article goes into detail about how organizations, particularly minority-owned ones, this article referencing Maryland in particular, were really, really struggling and continue to struggle during the pandemic and is actually calling on the state legislator to, in a in essence, bail them out um, and, and give them money. And it talks about how from uh, volunteer shortage um, to being understaffed to having decreased revenue that a lot of nonprofits, particularly smaller ones, uh, are severely hurting, leading to staff burnout and, and all these other things. And it seems this article made it seem like it was almost an existential crisis for for smaller nonprofits operating. And uh, I don't know what the solution is to that. Maybe they get help, maybe they don't, but um, something that we really have to pay attention to as we rebuild from this pandemic. Yeah, I think it was pointing to the Paycheck Protection Program also where it was just less accessible to the organizations led by people of color, according to the survey. They were less likely to be eligible, less likely to hear about it, more likely to be declined than white-led organizations, according to the report. So it's certainly, you know, when we talk about technically services that should have been 
you know, blind to that idea of like, all right, who's happening to be running it and versus who happens to qualify for it. But that paycheck protection program, that was a, uh, yeah, that it wasn't the most organized thing, but it certainly helped a lot of organizations. But I think it's one of those in the aftermath, uh, there are ways of maybe coming back, hopefully, and using this research to influence policy. See earlier, see earlier notes in the podcast. Absolutely. How about a feel-good story, George? I think we owe the audience that much. <laughs> we, we owe the audience. Uh, this is just highlighting a cool nonprofit. This is from WTOP News out of Virginia. And it highlights a nonprofit in Fredericksburg, Virginia, that's found a unique way to support veterans. And that is through teaching the art of blacksmithing. Um, so this founder, Steve Hotz, had created the organization Black Horse Forge that is helping veterans experiencing PTSD get back on their feet and find stability while tackling mental health issues through the art of blacksmithing. And I love this organization. Another example of a cool organization, uh, finding interesting ways to therapeutic ways to help folks experiencing PTSD. And uh, the data in here is actually really kind of jarring. Um, It cites a survey by the Wounded Warrior Project that showed that 52% of service members uh, said their mental health declined during the pandemic. And within the survey by the Wounded Warrior Project, it determined that 93% of veterans surveyed currently live with mental health conditions considered severe. That's incredible and alarming and is quite frankly a, a, a tragedy. And it, but, but this nonprofit is, is, is one of many great organizations, particularly nonprofits, um, filling that void and services and care to our veterans. Yeah, providing a sense of purpose through craft, the Black Horse Forge, you know, it's it's fascinating. They've actually been, uh, according to this article, able to support more than 11,000 military and men. What's more, you know, according to their own research, has seen zero suicides uh, among the people that they have helped. That may pose a model. And in a long narrative here, I do believe that nonprofits, one of the most pressing things that they do provide is a sense of purpose through giving people the ability to work for a higher purpose, a higher goal, uh, and, and to activate their, activate their, their, their sense of purpose in that, in that direction. So great work by this group. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for the feel good story. Happy holidays. George. I don't know if this is going to, we'll try to get one out next week, but forgive us if we don't, because you know, the holidays. Absolutely. Thanks, George. Thanks, everyone. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks, as always, to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 